Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hello. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Sean. Uh, sitting just a few feet away from 6th Avenue in Denver, Colorado. You might hear it in the background. It's also known as my bedroom. That's right. Uh, and you're also going to hear uh, frolicking seminarians outside because they got a fire going because it's John Cooney's birthday. So. Oh, no way. Yeah. We should go join them. We should. We got a podcast first. But we are looking closely at the uh, the podcasting device here because the SIM card either has 49 <laughs> hours or 49 minutes, and we are not sure. TBD. So we're going to try and keep this thing to 49 minutes just in case, and then we're going to find out. We'll make it work. I feel like I'm sitting in like a super low chair right now, and you're like Do you want to really uh, high above me. Here, let me give you a pillow. Here, just talk. <laughs> you, do you normally read in this chair and put a pillow underneath? I, I usually read in that chair. He said he usually reads in this chair. Oh, he has a... Um, what did I get for Christmas? I got a, a pink hat from uh, John Remstad today. <laughs> uh, the other day at a high school discipleship group, we were hanging out at Chick-fil-A, and he walked in with his Bass Pro Shop pink hat, and I said, I want that hat. I want that hat. And he goes, how about I buy you one for Christmas? I said, deal. And so today, Epiphany Sunday, he walks in after, or walks up to me after Mass and goes, here's your hat. And then I put it on with my vestments. It was awesome. That is a ridiculous hat. You know what else that hat is? <laughs> that hat is bold. And this is, as you know, the year of the bold. The year of the bold. I got blue pants for Christmas. The uh, ones you're wearing? Yeah, and I was like, this is the most, this is the boldest thing I've ever owned. Did you wear those with your clerics? Hell no. That'd look ridiculous. I thought they were like off black or something. No, they're like navy blue. Um, but I'm not judging you if you wear navy blue with a clerical shirt. You know, sometimes they fade. You know, <laughs> that's true. So yeah, so it's the year. It's the year of the bold, uh, bold colors, pink hats. Why did you like that hat? I'm sorry to. It's epic. Yeah, where'd it go? <laughs> that's not an argument, but I I'll take it. I, expect, I think it's I think I, it's sweet. I think you're getting funnier as you get older. As you as you push to to thirty. So to thirty. This is the, the year I turned thirty. Yep. That's the year wild. of the bold. Nineteen ninety four. Wow. That's really ridiculous. Time flies. Yeah. I also got a DU hockey jersey for oh. Christmas. Nice. That's that's cool. I went to the DU hockey game two nights ago, Friday night. Father Sean and I are big hockey fans, as those of you who listen to the podcast know, and we were very happy to see the World Junior Championship. That was crazy. The winners were Team USA. USA. Miracle on Ice. Yeah, that was great. That was, was great, great to see the boys. Against Sweden. Yep. Fu- the, then, future, the future looks bright for American hockey. 2025, so it's it's always in January, so 2025 will be hosted uh, in Canada, but 2026 will be hosted in Minnesota. Oh, nice. So we should take a trip out. That's good to know. 2026. So January of 26, or yeah, I'll start like two weeks before that in December of 25. Don't ever think, people, that I'm this, uh, I'm the planner and, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> forcing these guys to sign up for things years in advance. Father Sean has become quite the planner. He's already got our 2025. That's right. Benedict 100. Grand Traverse and then the Benedict 100, which is a ski, not a race. It's more of like a survival Adventure. Adventure, where you ski from Aspen to Vail, Colorado, mm-hmm. and you s- over six days? Yeah. F- uh, five nights. Five nights, six days, 100 miles, so 20 miles a day. So we're going to find out who of our friends actually listen to this <laughs> podcast because we're going to put a bid in for this. we got to do that. If we're going to do that, I need to call them this week. Maybe yep. tomorrow I'll call them. Yep. We're going we're gonna to go for it. So it was kind of funny uh, talking to you and... Uh, New Year, same us. Was that your naming of the podcast? That was Machado. That was classic Machado. I got a lot of flack for that. But it was like, you know, they're all talking about spiritual stuff, and then you and I are, it's all like 14 or this, biking this, skiing this. So, But, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. The year of the bold, wearing pink hats. You're going for new records, new PRs, pretending like you're young. 3,000 miles. Turning 30, 3,000 miles. I think we should do 4,000. This year, I was thinking that today. You're gonna change it, huh? Yeah, I think we should change it. So four thousand is gonna be a lot. We got our goals for the year. Strava goals. Sean is the last standing great <laughs> companion athlete, and I'm happy to say he's my arch nemesis in all things. Uh, but he's keeping keeping it young, because as we know, they're getting lamer every year. <laughs> and you give it's me so hope. Funny. You give me hope for the future. We were on Villa a couple of weeks ago, which is our like companion's vacation, which this year was a staycation. Don't get me started. But anyways, <laughs> we're out there. We're playing board games. I'm like, why are we playing board games? And it's so ridiculous watching these guys like get in fights over. I placed my battalion there. And 
<laughs> you stole my whatever. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, don't even get me started on, on that. But anyways, I'm happy that you're doing well. Uh, speaking of lame, can I share with you a little insight into my life at the seminary? Please. I said mass tonight. Feast of the Epiphany. Wonderful. Beautiful mass. High, you know, it's a very high, solemn mass at the seminary. It's really quite beautiful. Um, there's an announcement of the yes. liturgical year that's read. The movable feast. The movable feast. Mm-hmm. So I sat down after the gospel. Yes. And you're, um, apparently you're supposed to remain standing. It's <laughs> hilarious. So everybody awkwardly kind of does the, oh, because it says in the program, like, remain standing. I didn't see it. Gotcha. I, I'm liturgically rather incompetent. I try to pretend like I know what I'm doing, but... Five seminarians stay standing, one of whom is Riley Helgo, <laughs> who does not listen to the podcast. He just reads the podcast titles and kind of, uh, you know, to kind of assuage my yeah, ego. Like, oh, right. hey, I saw that you did such and such on Kristen, you know, blah, blah. Um, so we got in this whole debate, and I was like, you know what it was? It was a test. Who are the robots in this place? Yes. Because they, they had heard that. <clears> the cowboys could, and the robots. All the robots could not compute that. We have to sit down just because everybody's sitting down. Right. It looked like a protest in the back, <laughs> in the back of the church. And then they're giving me the business about not following the rubrics. And I'm like, only in this place would we have this dumb of a conversation. But is that in the rubrics or is that just in the, the missile at the paper thing that was made exactly. by seminarians? It's in the mind of Charles Nolan, our music director. So I don't know if it's in the missile. I would have to go look. I don't know. And we you know did what? not do it, though. You did not do it. Okay. No. Yeah, apparently, so people, what this is, for, for normal people listening to this this conversation that's getting increasingly boring, um, <laughs> there's this, it's actually really beautiful. It was sung by Jared Condroy um, today, and it just announces the the Feast of the Year, mm-hmm. which I guess is done traditionally on the Feast of the, the Epiphany. Epiphany. So, yeah. talking so about Ash Wednesday, and when is Easter, feast. and when is the movable feast, when yeah. is Ascension, these kind of things. So, it was very nice. Yeah. But. Did he chant well? He chanted well. He Great. chanted well, and I sat, not not in. I just didn't know what was going on. So yeah. apparently, it last was all time invalid. I heard that was Blaze Butch's twenty twenty maybe when he did that. Okay, I haven't heard it since because we don't do it in our parish. Okay, there you go. So I don't yep. know when the movable feasts are. I do know Ash Wednesday is Valentine's Day though. It's coming up. It's coming up quick. It it's going to be a, a short little stint here. We're going to be in Lent uh, because Easter is really early this year, as we know. And the Grand Traverse is on Easter Sunday for those of you who, speaking of movable feasts, <laughs> we have to make sure that we lock that in for 2025. That'll be another adventure. So yesterday we celebrated the 14th anniversary of the podcast. You were a freshman in high school when Mike and I started the podcast. Crazy. Crazy. You were getting hit in the face with a hockey stick. I was a sophomore in high school. Let it be known. You were uh, getting hit in the face with a hockey stick by my brother. Steve Neville. Were you still a pagan at this point, or had you converted? I I say I had a conversion over the four years of high school. So sophomore year was probably the most important year, but it hadn't happened at that point yet. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Your pastor's on sabbatical. It's great. It's great. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say it like that. No, he's... He's living his best life. He's reading every day. He's cycling every day. His goal is to lose some weight. We'll see, because uh, he loves eating and cooking. <laughs> but um, it, it was rather, an, uh, yeah, I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but that's okay. It was rather annoying today when all these people came up after mass and like, so how is it? Yeah. How is it with you? I'm you like, it's right? been a week. Yeah. It's been a week. Ask me in two months. Don't Are ask me. You doing me. all right? You're going to make it. They're yeah. like, you must be so stressed. You and Father Vitold, you have all the work right now. Yeah, a week's worth of work. There's nothing to do. Right. You guys are going to be just fine. It's going to be good. And it's good for the old dog to take a little break as well. So That's right. I uh, recommended a show to him on Netflix, uh, which I passed on to Morgan Rogers' friend. The Mor- Rogers family is down there with him, and she sent a photo of him conked out. Fool me <laughs> once. Great show. Mary Nepple loves thrillers, action. My mom is like kind of a junkie for that, so we watched it the last few days and very good. Highly recommended. So what is it called? Fool Me Fool Once. Fool Me Once, yeah. Definitely okay. worth watching. So eight part Netflix series. Definitely action worth thriller. it. Seek so. uh, conference was last week. That's right. So this is now moving into the topic here for Great. for our banter haters um, who made it through that. The uh, um, I did not go. Did you go? I've never been to Seek my whole life. Never been to Seek. I went to Seek in 2013 uh, as the college chaplain to... They used to not do it every year. So I did one year. I think it was January 2013, Disney World. 
And then we did the pod, the live podcast. I think that was 2019. 2019. I looked is that it what up we decided. Today. 2019. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. so that was just four years ago. Now they're doing it every year, and now Seek is blown up. I think they said there was 24,000 people there in adoration. Crazy. Amazing. The general consensus I've heard from all the all the Denver seminarians went to it was that the the best talk was by Monsignor James Shea, mm-hmm. the president of University of Mary. Mm-hmm. Who, if you don't know about this guy, he's he's one of our local all stars. He's, he's, and he's on the board for SJV. He's on the board of SJV. He's just an outstanding man, great thinker. And they've published two books at the University of Mary. I think it's a group of friends who are kind of working on these things together. And the, the first one is called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, which I'm sure we've talked about at some point. Mm-hmm. Basically laying out a fundamental idea, which is that we're not living in a Christian, in a world where Christian, the Christian mentality and Christian worldview dominates Correct. how we think. Right. Christianity no longer permeates the values of a social, economic, and political sphere. Mm-hmm. And so most people are walking around doing Christian things, but not necessarily living with a worldview that, like a totalizing vision of reality that is centered on the incarnation, mm-hmm. right? So this book just came out. This is the sequel. The Religion of the Day. I yeah. have not read this yet. I, I didn't even know yet. it was out until we were on the hut trip. Well, aren't you lucky to be podcasting with me tonight because I'm going to talk about it. And John Fraker had it out. John Fraker had it out. Um, so Shea gave this talk, and I think it really resonated. I haven't listened to the talk. I don't think it's available. Um, but it resonated with thousands and thousands of young people because he, from what I gather, is that he was the talk was uh, centered on this book, which we're going to break down just some of the basic ideas of it. Um, I do want to keep an eye on the time because we only have 49 minutes, apparently, or 49 hours. Um, but the basic sense was um, the religion of the day is a, a line from John St. John Henry Newman, one of his sermons. Um, and basically what he's proposing is that the, the worldview that we're living in right now, which is not Christian, does not mean it's not religious. But the, 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 the story goes like this. Modernity ushered in an era of science and then technology, mm-hmm. and slowly man's has been secularized, meaning that he no longer believes in God, mm-hmm. and he's cast aside uh, the oppression of institutional religions, at the foremost of which is Christianity in the Catholic, in the Catholic form especially, um, and now everybody is a nun, N-O-N-E, no religion, mm-hmm. just not religious. What this book proposes is um, to say... No, there's a religion that has supplanted Christianity that is being kind of silently assimilated by the world, as we mm. speak, especially younger generations. And they're going to point to things like, how is it possible that several years ago, we woke up one morning and every high school in the United States basically believed that there was no such thing as gender right, or, or, or sexual differentiation, mm-hmm. that, that that was some kind of fluid thing that, um, that just, didn't, it just didn't exist. How does that happen? And so what the what the the book kind of proposes, the religion of the day, is a sequel and a complement to from Christendom to Apostolic Mission to kind of help us locate uh, and I think and articulate what exactly is the religion that is dominating the world right now mm-hmm. that if we don't actively work to uproot out of ourselves, we're gonna fall victim to. Yeah. Yeah. And I- it's gonna change the way that we approach and actually think about even the Christian claim. Right. Yeah, because if we no longer live in a Christian society where we have a Christian worldview, uh, we have to worship something, right? And it's no longer we're building... One thing that I love about Rome, you studied, you lived in Rome for a a little bit, Um, there's still a law or a rule, whatever, in Rome that the highest building can only be St. Peter's Basilica. You can't build anything higher than that. I love that. So that way, no matter where you are in the city, you look out and you can see... St. Peter's Basilica. You can see the highest point, which is to say this is a great feat of, of Christendom, of Christianity, of something that we built. But what do we worship today? The biggest things we build are Bronco Stadium or whatever, right? SoFi Stadium, the new stadium in um, San Diego, right? It's like these are the, the billions and billions of dollars that they're spending that we're worshiping uh, at the core. And if we no longer worship God, we're, we're clearly going to replace that for something else. Yeah, that's right on. Uh, George Weigel years ago wrote a book called The, the Cube. Cube in the Cathedral. Did you yep. ever read that? I did. I read that in uh, Catholic Studies in Minnesota, actually. 
Yeah, it was a nice piece. And the Catholic Studies guys, so Sean and I um, were, we studied under some thinkers in the Catholic Studies department at the University of St. Thomas, which these guys are all buddies with. Jay uh, Reyes. Mary, right. And uh, Don Briel, who has since passed, but who founded the Catholic Studies program that we studied in, was working really closely with Monsignor Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is that kind of constellation of of people that are really thinking deeply about our cultural situation. And Mike Naughton is the one who first mm. handed me a copy of this book when I saw him in December, and he's like right in on these conversations. So I feel very privileged to just be reading this book and to be like, wow, we're like, and the, the giants are all kind of coming together, um, and they're really thinking about this, um, about the situation we find ourselves. And they're helping us to articulate what is going on. Mm. Because it's not just... Um, like when you hear people talk, you hear like I remember sitting with the, these uh, these high school girls. I think I mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. High school, college girls, they've all studied at Jesuit schools, and all we ever talk about is how oppressive Catholic sexual ethics are. Hmm. And for me, that is, I'm just like so bored by this topic. And even sometimes people get in on these things about contraception and abortion. Sure. And I'm just like, now they're really deadly. These are these are deadly issues. But the kind of narrative and the conversation and the lingo. Um, it's Marxist. It's it, it's it's all sociological. It's got all these kind of presuppositions for modernity, which inhibit us to actually really enjoy and appreciate and assimilate the Christian claim. Hmm. And I kind of went into this diatribe during the homily tonight. I don't think the guys were tracing it, but they 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 have to deal with it because I'm the vice rector. So this is how the book starts. We often speak of our age, especially in the West, as increasingly non-religious the so-called rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. If religion is defined as an ordered system of rites and practices that govern our relationship to the supernatural world and teach us our duties towards God, then to say that our religion has been growing less, our society has been growing less religious is obviously true. Okay? So he says, if we define religion as an ordered system of rites and practices, nobody's practicing anymore. Mm -hmm. That seems to be, then you could say, yes, it's less religious. But then they say this, but religion can also be useful usefully understood as a particular set of beliefs and practices that a person or a society holds in order to provide a meaningful vision and narrative for life. Hmm. Human beings are made for story. And religion is about interpreting reality as As a story. story. Yeah, I love it. The difference between ourselves... Did you have a dog growing up? I never did. I did fish once. You had a fish. Okay. What was the fish's name? Goldie. Okay. Very, very, (laughs) very creative. (laughs) So Goldie uh, existed, mm-hmm. existed in a meaningful way as creation. As Was it a goldfish, Sean? <laughs> it was. It was a goldfish, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. you're not really pet people. He's Conroy, no longer, sorry. He, Goldie's no longer with Goldie's us. Goldie's with us. The point of this is to say that Goldie was very satisfied with existing mm-hmm. and glorified God by being a goldfish, mm-hmm. like just by doing the goldfish things, whatever they do. Um, my, my, <laughs> my family has a fish named... My sister's family is a fish named Flota, uh, Flota, and he just he he just won't die. He's just like they'll leave him for three weeks. And but you still just, have this fish? I think Flota. Is, I think he finally passed, but it was kind of he had like miraculously kept living and living and living. So these goldfish are rather they're rather resilient. Um, but the point is to say, Flota, Goldie, um, all of our animals, they don't seek to interpret reality. Right. That's a distinctively human thing. Mm-hmm. Animals aren't sad after sex. Why? Because they're, they're asking the question of meaningfulness. This kind of imaginative worldview of what is the purpose of things? What drives my hope? What is the, the orientation towards happiness that is just... These things are structurally a part of us. Yeah. And the great genius behind this in the last century is Luigi Giussani, who we yeah. always, we always talk about, sense. the religious sense, which yeah. is not an easy book to read, uh, but a really important one. In terms, and we've done a lot of podcasting on this, but hum, human beings, they say, are inveterate, meaning-seeking beings. They are intrinsically looking for the meaningfulness and have the capacity to interpret reality as meaningful mm-hmm. or not meaningful, and that's what everything hinges on. That's the religious sense. Right. It's in us. Right. Structurally, part of us. So that's that's the whole kind of impetus of the book. Then they move into this thing they call the primal heresy. And what's the point of this is to say there's always been this weird scepter or kind of leech on Christianity, and it's called Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. All right, what is Gnosticism, if you're going to explain it's, it to people? It's your Greek word for the day. There you as go. As we would say at Lord's Gnosis, 
which means knowledge in Greek. Gnosticism is essentially to say if you possess a knowledge or a secret knowledge, that will bring you salvation, right? And so it essentially, I don't know if all Gnostics would say this, but most Gnostics would deny the incarnation in the sense that right on. Um, Christian that God did not become man, but it's just a set of ideas. Christianity, religion, it's just a set of ideas that you accomplish, that you know, then you'll be saved. It's not about a relationship. It's not about um, being in dialogue with the Lord. Right, so Gnosticism was an ancient reality that was the number one enemy of Christianity in the early church. Mm-hmm. So St. Irenaeus, St. Justin, they, these guys are thinking, and they're St. Augustine, they're all working against this kind of Gnosticism, which, as you said, denies the incarnation, denies the historicity, the facticity of, of the fact that the reality that Christianity is a fact. It happened, right? Which, which is why that every human person stands before the fact of Christ and has to make a decision. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. And it's the reduction of things to knowledge. The, the modern form of Gnosticism is ideology. Mm. So it's different than the ancient forms. The ancient forms were, were more complicated. They were kind of more... Like Manichaeism? Uh, yeah. They were rooted in a, a different kind of worldview. Mm. There's certain kind of things that... So you have... Think of it as kind of like pre-Christian Gnosticism, and then which follows the church through centuries, and then kind of post-Christian Gnosticism. So like the kind of thing that Hegel is doing is is really, really different than Manichaeism in the 4th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the book goes on to describe the religion of the day does not go by a single name, and different observers have called it many different things. So that's kind of a hard thing to articulate, and then they give this overly cumbersome, as they describe it, name. The re- what is the religion of the day? Oh, it's very simple. It's modern, neo-Gnostic, progressive, utopian, revolutionary religion. <laughs> simple. <laughs> In short, you could just call it progressive religion. Mm. So progressivism. I like ism because isms bespeak of ideology. So you're taking an idea... And then you're building a, a worldview out of an idea. And progressivism is rooted in the concept of progress, mm-hmm. which if there was one thing that we were going to say moderns loved, it's progress. Progress and change, right? Like I have to always be changing. I have to always get better. I have to always be finding that next um, hypothesis, scientific hypothesis, so as to push the boundaries, right? Right. That's it. Change, progress. Then we'll become who we need to be. So you have this, this, the ghost of Gnosticism is born in every Christian age. It's always haunting the church, um, and Christians are always falling victim to it. But there's something about the way this emerged within a different a rejection of Christianity and an, an acceptance of the religion of progress, mm-hmm. which is the religion of reason. The, the, the cover of this book um, is a picture of the Feast of Reason, that was held this kind of debaucherous feast that was ha- that was held in um, Notre Dame during the French Revolution in the cathedral in the cathedral. Oh my gosh! Yeah, where they had a statue of of reason, and and it was just this whole kind of um, kind of perverted and and twisted, but but very telling experience mm-hmm. of how the religion of the French Revolution was playing out, mm-hmm. um, and so. So it, it so there's just some great lines here. The more deeply a society is influenced by Christianity, the more likely it will be it will produce Gnostic variants, and the more potent potent those variants will be. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what we're trying to say is that the time that we're living in is very particular and very unique, but it's also not. It's also the same damn problem right. that's been haunting us forever, yeah. which is to reduce Christianity to a kind of knowledge, or you could say technique, by which we can kind of create our own auto salvation right we Would, and become god by ourselves right which is always kind of the desire of man is like i want to be in control i want to uh make myself um be responsible for my own salvation and if i just figure it out right and part of it's just like i know we don't love the <laughs> always going to the moral theology but part of it's just like i don't want to admit that my moral life has consequences right and i don't want to admit that me sleeping outside of, of marriage or cohabitating or whatever it is, that that's going to have consequences for my life. And so I just deny morality and I say, well, I'm just going to make up my own religion then. Right. And this is everywhere. And it's, it's hard to combat. 
and, and you know, I'm talking on the phone today. So like I had a really beautiful, um, rarely do I get sick calls, but a friend called father's dying, went over really beautiful experience. Mm. Um, he'll probably die today at some point. I'm talking to the sisters on the phone who are, and the one sister is Catholic, but the other sisters, maybe not so much. And they're like, well, we want to split dad's cremains between the two locations where the family is because he said that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm working, we're always working out of sound bites as moderns. So right. it's like, how do you summarize the fact that like, we have to keep the integrity of the body. Right. But when you cremate a body, you're already in a situation where it's like, why can't, and I was just like, just, you got to imagine that it's a, it's a, it's a corpse. Mm-hmm. Would you divide a corpse and put half of it in there? And But when you, so there's just so many levels to these things, mm-hmm. but the body doesn't matter. And we can pay tribute to intellectually to like, oh yeah, the second coming, blah, 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 and the resurrection of the body, but but we don't really believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's just that's that's an example for me of like it just looks like a, a, a stupid Christian rule that right. the body has to be buried in one place, that it ashes can't be scattered, they can't be separated. It was the wish, and it's like these are this is the kind of pastoral situations that you face all the time. I yeah. don't because I'm locked away talking about do we sit or stand during the stupid freaking whatever, right? The movable feasts. You know what I mean though? Totally. Yeah. So yeah. and most Catholic schools, it seems to me, are not hitting on this level of philosophical presuppositions, mm-hmm. which is why we are creating uh, a new generation of nuns who are either trying to be Catholic and really confused. Or they're just wholesale rejecting it yeah. because it doesn't fit with the normative cultural religion, which is this progressivism. Yeah. Now, one thing I think that's important is to separate progressive with liberal. Because people, we kind of equate these. Because we work with labels, right? Sure, sure. So this notion of the right and the left, mm-hmm. this goes back to the French Revolution. Right. That's a modern distinction of like, oh, you're, you're obviously... The bourgeois. You, you have an odd oriented mass at Lourdes, so you're obviously... <laughs> Uh, super tratty or you're you're conservative or whatever Mm -hmm. you know we throw these words around what we're talking about with progressivism is this kind of this kind of ideological blending of modern philosophical presuppositions that are intrinsically anti-christian that create a series of mandates warrants actions of the ways we have to live and the way we have to approach moral problems that's fundamentally in contradiction with Christianity, which creates this weird kind of Frankenstein experience in a lot of young Catholics. Mm. And it's really problematic. Yeah. So that's why we started this great new high school. Yes. Again, no, but JPG. This, this is a test for us at JPG. Are we going to be able to withstand this so that my nephews go to a school? Because mm-hmm. they're getting it. They're getting the formation at your school right now. Mm-hmm. They're thinking deeply. Their Catholic imaginations are alive and active. Right. Their worldviews are being they're penetrated. But then they're gonna then they're gonna hit fifteen, right? And they're gonna hate us, right? Maybe not you. They're gonna hate, <laughs> but they'll hate me and they'll hate their parents, right? And they'll hate the church, and that's a really important disenchantment moment we've talked about time and time again. But we have to unmask the progressivism, the progressive religion, and that by that we have to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. That's why this book's really helpful, yeah, and very readable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know if it gets to this or if this is going to be like uh, the the trilogy, the the third part of the trilogy. But like, what's the answer then? Like, how, how do we how do we do it? You know, and I think like uh, I'm more of a concrete guy than an idea guy. I think you're more of an idea guy than a concrete guy. I am, yeah. And so I'm like, how do we pull this back into the concrete to say like, okay, I'm taking my kids to Sunday mass. Uh, I'm taking my high schooler. Um, to Sunday mass every Sunday, but like, how do I get him or her to like really buy into the, and maybe it's, maybe that's the wrong word buy in, but like, how do I get them to uh, permeate or the, the Catholic world ver- world view to permeate within them? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And again, I'm an idea guy, so I can't really <laughs> answer it. Um, I would say I'm looking for a quote from the introduction here that helped me kind of articulate it oh, do, do. I think here's what you got to ask we have to somehow figure out how as parents and and priests how to pose this question to young people what is the religion we need to be converted out of hmm. if we are to be truly converted to Christ that starts with us that starts with you and me yeah so we can't just be like oh we're Catholic we're baptized we're priests whatever we got it it's like how are we falling victim to 
progressive religion and how do we have to be? So that's, that's the criteria question. What is the religion we need to be converted out of? And I think that's the paradigm shift mm-hmm. is to say, don't say to yourself, how do I keep my kids from not being progressives? It's just be like, if they're watching Netflix and they're ordering stuff on Amazon and they're in public school or they're in Catholic school, they're progressive. It's in the water. Mm. It's in the air that we breathe. Like you can't not. And so we have to look at this. And so we got to figure out what is the structure of it. And this is where it's kind of helpful. Here's a couple of introductory things. And this is a neo-Gnostic belief system. So this is going to be tied into that kind of progressive religion. All right. And this is just helpful. These are the basic tenets that you could say. A scheme of self-initiated salvation. So I can make, I can save auto-salvation, right? So this notion that I don't need Jesus mm-hmm. to save me, right. I can do it myself through Peloton, through yoga, through whatever, I can save myself, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, that locates the source of the world's evil, not in the individual human heart, but in fundamentally corrupted and therefore oppressive structures of human existence. That's a, that's a big one. The, the hallmark of Gnosticism is the denial of the fall. Mm. And what that leads to is, where do you locate evil? Mm. And this is like, especially Marxism. It's in the structures. Right. The government. It's in the government and it's in the church. Mm. It's in any kind of institutional structure. That's where evil resides. It's not in here. So the problem with the Catholic Church is not so much that there are bad hearts like ours. Mm -hmm. The problem is is that it's bad structures. Right. So you got to destroy the structures. So, so we got to have a synod on synodality to democratize the church so that we can get rid of all the oppressive structures so that we can enter into this kind of utopian Catholic experience and live in harmony with one another as we kind of save ourselves. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like utopian. I know that makes you nervous when I talk about synodality. <laughs> I, it, it sounds utopian, as you mentioned, but it also sounds like anarchy. Like, let's just blow up the structures. It that is. way I can just, like, live on my own and figure it out on myself. But... But it's interesting because I don't even know if auto salvation is the right term in the sense of like, are people even searching for salvation anymore? Or like, like I don't even know what people believe in. Is it like reincarnation or they just believe like once you die, you end? Like, do they even believe in the uh, immortality of the soul anymore? So it's like, yeah, I'll go save myself by um, climbing all the 14ers or go to the mountains and like doing awesome things. But it's it's all for the sake of egotistic egotistical pursuits of conquering whatever like bagging that peak but it's not it's not salvation is it yeah that's i think we have to broadly broadly define salvation because the question of and this is good this is good what you're hitting into here what does it mean to be saved mm. well if well-being and comfort and this is augusto del noche right which we've talked about already um if well-being and comfort our salvation, mm-hmm. then we need to be saved by that. I did a long uh, spin ride, zone two spin ride today because I have to keep up with you this summer. And it's, 4, already, miles. it's already January. Um, and I watched this documentary on the 1982 avalanche that hit. Did you see this? The, the It's called Buried? No, I saw Unrivaled. Unrivaled, okay, yeah. That was with uh, Avs versus uh, Red Wings. And oh, that's sweet. I'll watch that next week. Yeah, um, I have go. 90 minutes of you know spinning on a bike, so um, they're going to think we watch TV all the time, but, <laughs> but uh, just went around the bike. But it was the story of just all these hippies who are just you know living the dream, and then all of a sudden a catastrophe happens. And, they, and it was interesting in the documentary seeing how they try and kind of deal with it. Mm. So salvation is evil is real. And, and this progressive religion, one of the things that we have to note about it is that it takes it takes the problem of evil very seriously. Mm -hmm. It just locates it in the wrong place and it identifies how you deal with it problematically. Right? So I do think we have to redefine what does salvation look like for us? I even think like within the companions, like Mm -hmm. we used to, we used to throw down a lot more Mm -hmm. and we don't because I think that everybody's kind of just like, we just want to be comfortable. Yeah. As long as I don't feel awkward, like I'm not reconciled with certain guys, and it's like, as long as other guys don't feel uncomfortable about it, then everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So that's an example for me. Of what do you like, mean throw down? Just like get into arguments? We used to face, we used to face things. Yeah. Like even today, I was kind of like pissed off during mass. I was like, those five idiots are standing in the back of the church. Do you look, this looks ridiculous. And they're all defiant because they're doing the right thing. Uh-huh. How am I going to deal with this? Right. Am I going to not deal with it? Or am I just going to be an ass? which I usually am, or I was like, or I could just make fun of it 
and yeah. see if they go for it. And it worked. But we actually dealt with it. Mm. We dealt with an irregularity or an oddity within our little community life in the seminary, mm. which is that these guys were actually kind of upset that I messed up the rubrics. Yeah. And I was upset that they did it. And we actually talked about it. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like we're so deeply, we're so steeped in this notion of like well-being, comfort. And, we're, and what's ironic is that the more that we pursue that with technological prowess, the more psychologically fragile we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely incapable of dealing with anything. I'm reading this book from the 14th century by Sigurd Unstead. That's um, right. I mean, these people were fierce, and they could actually deal with death and suffering. Moderns? Boomers? Dealing with death? It's it's sad. Yeah. And and, and we're not going to be any better than that. Sure. So where's the resilience and the, and the kind of galvanizing aspects of, of human life they've been just removed by Amazon Comfort, or whoever, yeah. yeah. So let me go through the rest of these here. The promise is to radically overcome the world of evil. Okay, so there's a promise involved uh, accomp- that accomplishes this salvation through escape, claims to bring a new type of human, that's where things get scary, hmm. and inaugurate a new age of freedom that accomplishes its salvation through the application of some form of specialized technological knowledge, i.e. gnosis, gained by human effort. Hmm. So in its essence, the religion... Every religion is gives a proposal for salvation. It just so happens that Eastern spirituality, it was about the annihilation of existence and coming into a place of nirvana. Mm-hmm. And that was the same with kind of Neoplatonism, and that was, that was in the air. You know, I was talking about the Persian astrologists and what is the religion and the, the great paradox of how they unfold and disclose for us the method of finding the Christ child, mm-hmm. of finding God in poverty. Very interesting. Yeah, the Magi. Um, so what we're facing right now is postmodern, but it's also modern in the sense that it's, it's built on layers and layers and layers of anti-Christian foundations of how we're going to rethink about what it means to be a human person. And we're going to redefine what meaning looks like. And that leads us all the way to the present day where things are getting out of control and we feel it. Okay. You got any thoughts? Well, it's a meaningless. Talking, talking, talking. Yeah, I mean, this is good. It's 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 almost depressing, <laughs> but not almost. I think it is depressing of like, where have we gone? But I, I do like your point of like, um, we've seen this before, uh, right? Was it Christopher Dawson who wrote the essay, like Seven Ages of the, of the Church, mm-hmm. right? And he just kind of traces, um, we've been in these places before where like the church gets really big uh, for different reasons and then she falls apart and then crisis happens and then you get these uh saints who rise up and say we got to be better and then there's persecution uh there's bloodshed and then it rises up again um and i think that's kind of the ages to the church if you really read that essay closely it's like that that's interesting and i don't know it kind of ends up just like are we in a declining age are we in a inclining age right now and i not that we have to diagnose it but i think what 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 we're called to do is to be faithful Catholics, to live in the world, but not to be of the world, uh, to proclaim from the housetops that Christ is Lord, that he is here, that he has come. Um, and let's bring him into the world, right? Epiphany is all about Christ being the light to the nations, the light to the Gentiles, uh, the conversion of the Gentiles. That's why the Magi come. They're the Gentiles. They come. Uh, we need to show that Christ is Christ to, to all people, not just the Christians, but also to the Gentiles. I think that's right on. At the risk of going deeper and darker, I'm going to I'm going to I want to continue on that thought positively. So, the Christian vision of redemption is that it's a continuation of creation. Mm-hmm. That's really important because the whole gnostic progressive religion denies the fall, but also denies creation. Right. If you deny God, which is a which is a precondition of this religion, mm-hmm. like you like as, as Larry Chap and, and these other guys have talked about, like God is an unreality in the world, right? Walk through the airport in, in Zurich, Switzerland. Like he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Just any airport. I find airports to be like fiercely atheistic. I don't know what it is about just the, you know, and I, and I, I, I travel a lot, but I just, I, I heard the, uh, the plane flight from, uh, where's seek Texas, uh, yeah. St. Louis, wherever it was. From St. Louis to Denver, it was like all the all the priests, like Father Greg was on that flight, Father Peter Musset, Father Daniel Chuchi, Chris Stefanik, Ted Shree. It was like everyone was on this one plane. Yeah, I'm like, well, that might be a 
a Christian airport at that time. But that is true, and and there everybody's riding high from seat because it's it's Catholic Disneyland. It's amazing, and thank God it exists. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God that like the German bishops came over to seek and uh, they did a panel for the students, and it's just like okay, this is this is this is just it's about what happens when you actually rebuild the foundations of the Catholic faith on Jesus Christ. It's mm-hmm. all focus is doing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So praise God for that. But to go back for this for a second, this is something you and I think about a lot. We were in a hut this week with 16 other people, um, all of whom at some point in their life we had encountered, mostly as college students, and who met Jesus, but who live out the Christian faith in a way that is deeply in tune with creation, Mm. I think. We've spent so many years, so many, so many days on the trails together Hiking up Father Sean PR'd up the did a top five right. ever on Strava. Very proud of the man. From from the parking lot to the jackal hut. He was very fast. Um but the uh um we we do everything we can to stay in tune with creation. And that requires to do that requires a notion of dealing with the fall. Hmm. The the brokenness of the of the fall, that that things are created good, that they are broken, and that evil enters through that that it's wounded, not destroyed, but that c- redemption is the creative God, the, the Father, the Creator, in the Son, working out and restoring and elevating that creation. So I just think that getting back to creation is such a key part of it. And I'm not talking about just like doing hot trips and, and being an adventure or whatever, but living Christianity in such a way that's really in tune with creation and living our humanity as creation, mm-hmm. as creator, excuse me, a- as created meaning I'm not the creator. Mm-hmm. And um, my book is in the hand, you know, you've read all this and heard all this, but uh, the, the the book that I'm trying to write is, is kind of the conversation piece to this. I want to give it to Shay if it ever gets published of like, we have to live humanity again like it's created, mm. which means we have to reject the fundamental religious expression of, of this progressive religion thing, which is self-creation. Mm-hmm. I, I see that everywhere. And Ratzinger had his finger on, on this decades ago. Right? He's talking about it. Balthasar's talking about it. Self-creation. I can, I can do what I want with mm-hmm. my body, with other people's bodies. I can define what meaningfulness looks like for myself. This is, this is written in now into, the, into law in the United States. I mean, that's, that's written into the abortion legislation from decades ago. Right. We, have the, we have the ability to define what reality is for us and our destiny. No, it's crazy. So the positive thing is, how do we set up ways where families and communities and parishes can actually engage these questions in such a way, and then also build them up? Mm. Tomorrow morning, we are going to have quite the experience with 10 dads from Lourdes and like 25 kids it's gonna be wild. skiing at Breck, high of? Nine degrees. Uh, okay, I heard five degrees today, but nine's more consoling. It's going to be absolutely frigid. Frigid, and these poor little kids, I'm going to be cold. I- I can't imagine these kids. So. But why do it? Why do it? You know? Yeah. Because it's something they're gonna they're not gonna forget. They'll never forget that. Skiing with their dads and two priests, like they're gonna love that. But and, like that's not why we do it. We do it because like we also enjoy spending time with them and like that's that's authentic evangelization, I think. And I think that being uncomfortable in the backcountry, yeah, it just forces you to think about I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. I'm not in control of the weather. And, and this cool, this documentary today was cool because it talked about hubris, about pride of like, we think we can control this thing. Mm. Things got out of, in March of 1982, in the, the whatever it was, um, ski resort outside of Tahoe, they lost control. They thought they had control of the avalanche situation and it devastated everything. Mm. Um, so, so that is the positive thing. Um, but I don't want to end on a positive note, Sean. I want to end on a negative note. Because this is super interesting. All right. Okay. How, how much time I do we have? I was totally confused there. Uh, back, sorry, backtracking. When you said avalanche, I thought you meant the Colorado avalanche. And now oh, you're yeah. talking about, that's why I mentioned unrivaled. Okay. I'm sorry. That, that's totally understandable. We're big Avs fans, even though they totally blew it last night, <laughs> which is embarrassing. And uh, I'm going to the game tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. I'm looking for some notes while we talk here. Um, all right. So buy this book, by the way, I just think, uh, it's definitely, it's called religion of the day and it's published by what you marry university of Mary, but we're not done yet. One last point here. Um, did we hit our 49 minutes yet? We have not. 
We have not. Okay. We're five minutes away, but I think you're right. I think it's 49 hours, not 49 minutes. All right. We're going to find out here. So um, this is just a, a particular cool thing to note because I've thought a lot about like, you know, you and I are 11 years apart. Um, and uh, when I was in seminary, we weren't thinking about this in the same way. Sure. So there was this study that came out in 2005. So this is when I was in uh, spirituality. So I was like early in seminary. Mm-hmm. These two sociologists did this, this. They published this book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. You've probably heard this. Mm-hmm. The findings were their worldview is not Christian. Their worldview is what they called MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Oh, yeah, yeah. So these were the three qualities. They believe that God exists. God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as, they, as the Bible taught and most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And then lastly, good people go to heaven when they die. Mm. This is that's so true. Thera- moral therapeutic deism. deism yeah. Now, what's interesting about the way they treat this in the book, that was almost 20 years ago. Um, the question arises whether MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism, is an obviously widespread set of beliefs, is a form of neo-Gnostic faith. Our answer would be that in itself it is not, but that it re- represents a degenerate and flaccid state of Christianity that is highly vulnerable to the preaching of a more potent and virtual neo-Gnostic faith. Yeah. That's, that's, be- that's really insightful. Yeah. So moralistic therapeutic deism is a degenerated Christianity. It's a weak, 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 passive Christianity. Right. Everybody goes to heaven. You hear this at, in every kind of eulogy. This is all over the place. Like yeah. Nobody actually believes in, in the judgment of Christ, the salvation of Christ, these things. Okay. It's not the same as what happened in the last five years with the Zoomer generation. Hmm. If 20 years ago MTD was the closest thing to an American civil religion, it has been rapidly turning into something different and more dangerous. Namely, the progressive religion we have been describing. Right. Why is MTD so prone to the embrace of neo-Gnostic beliefs? And then they, they list the reasons for it. I just think naming that transference is super helpful. Yeah. That 20 years ago, we had this kind of weakened Christian notion that all dogs go to heaven. Everybody just needs to be nice. Jesus wants me to be comfortable, well-being. That's not it anymore. Mm-hmm. We've moved beyond that. Right. That's kind of the gateway drug to progressive religion. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really fascinating and really heartbreaking when we have these conversations with, with families that are Catholic and really want their kids to be Catholic, mm-hmm. but they're just completely secularized. Right. And the more money is there, the more the temptation. The gets, yeah. The more temptation. Right. So I, I just I wanted to point that out at the end. Yeah, just and, kind of like I like, yeah, moralistic, therapeutic deism deism right is the belief that like god it's like the watchmaker god is that right like god creates the watch he sets it in motion and then he backs away so there's a god but he doesn't care about your life and so i just live my life accordingly uh however way i want and it doesn't matter but it's not true but that's the way we live oftentimes it's just like i'll do whatever that i want i believe that maybe god's up there if i'm good i go to heaven but that's it yeah so that so if you want to stop your kid from being a godless progressive then you got to stop him from being a moral therapeutic deist which means you got to really give him Christ. Mm. They got to really get it. Yeah. And they have to be confronted with the challenge of the faith in a way that actually is loving and tender and gentle and everything that we need to embody as as a culture. Yeah. Cuz it's not going to do any good to just rail people all, all that we're doing is marginalizing and alienating people if we just kind of hammer them and as much we're, as we talk really strongly in this podcast like yeah. the way that we talk to people the way that i talk to my friends kids who are falling into the falling victim to this stuff mm-hmm. you, you can't do it but when the moment arises we have to we have to yeah, get we got to get we got to get on the offensive here yeah the religion of the day is not christian it's this progressive religion which espouses a kind of intrinsic atheism is also inherently violent and is completely dominant. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's anti-Catholic and we just have to acknowledge that. And we, and for, for God's sake, we got to stop trying to accommodate to that. Right. 
and that's what's that's the the tragedy of a lot of kind of Catholic institutions and and the world we live in right now. Mm-hmm. But not Our Lady of Lords. I hope not. I hope we're doing something great. So that's that. Well, we're gonna call it there. <laughs> Happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. Christ is the light to the nations. We're called to be that light as well. Are you are you sad? I am a little sad. <laughs> You're also a little melancholic. More than you realize, as they would say here in Denver. That's right. All right. The positive note is ending on shout-outs. Great. Do you want to start or you want me to start? Did you get any great Christmas cards this year of people who listen you want to shout-out? Uh, I did not. You didn't get any Christmas cards? I got plenty of Christmas cards. Not from any listeners. Okay. Maybe I did. I can't remember. <laughs> Do you know this girl? Let's see. Um, The Taylors. She looks familiar. She was Pauline Sullivan, the artist formerly ah, known okay. as Pauline Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. And she married Ian Taylor, and that's their three boys. Can you can you sense how crazy their family life is just by looking at the the expressions on those on boys' the, faces? On the boys' faces. They're just yes. absolute wild men. That looks amazing. Pauline Sullivan, I met her when she was, I think, like nine years old. And she and her sisters, they have nine kids. Uh, she and her sisters were just these sweet little girls. She actually sent a photo of her dad and I and her, and it's just like, I can't believe she's all... She's a woman now. It's amazing. And she's doing it. And this is the real kind of family life that Mm -hmm. uh, is incredible. Where do they live? They live in Omaha. So shout out to Ian and Pauline. Love you guys. And then I got the craziest text today from a guy named John Sandy. Yes. Who is a judge in Iowa who went to St. John Vianney College Seminary with me way back in the day. Do you know John Sandy? I do not. He uh, He was a seminarian for Sioux City a long time ago. Great guy, and uh, he just said he loved the podcast on Festio. So I, mm. he, I found out he was listening. At least he did listen, and it was great to hear from him. So yeah. John Sandy, thanks for listening. If you hear this, and I look forward to reconnecting. Awesome. I'd like to shout out Bree Allensworth, our director of ministry. She sometimes listens to the podcast, but she always makes fun of me because apparently I just sit in the background and laugh half the time. <laughs> I don't talk much, is what she always tells me. In what? Uh, in most of the episodes, but especially when it's all four of us. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's tough. Well, I I, I don't disagree. But my goal for 2024 is to talk more on this podcast. Oh boy. Well, guess what? You're gonna have an opportunity to talk more when we come back in two weeks. Coming to you live in two weeks from now. Yeah. So again, the the new uh, rotation is uh, we'll be with one guy for three months. So it'll be more consistent for for us, which will be nice. So we'll be on every other week. Happy Epiphany to everybody. Sorry if this was kind of a downer, but Christ is the Lord of the universe and we and the light of the nations, and we trust him. Um, but we also got to be aware of this going on. And shout out to Monsignor Shea, who definitely doesn't listen, but who inspired this podcast and for the great work that they're doing at the University of Mary. All right? Awesome. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. We will see you 